You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Don't think twice because it's another day for you and me in Texans Paradise. No, I can't even. I can't do it. Texans Paradise, though. Yeah, I'm shouting out to Phil Collins after a seven-game winning streak. Hey, we brought in the always insightful Patrick Starr from State of the Texans for this one. Welcome aboard, everybody. Robert Land from the Houston Sports Talk Podcast, along with co-host Brian Patterson from Fansided's HouseofHouston.com. Thanks for diving into your best daily source of Texans news, views, and interviews. And hey, Pat, I got to ask you to start with, are you upset Bill O'Brien took a gun to Oakland, walked into the Raiders facility, and just walked out with just win, baby, right from out from under their nose, man? Robert, VP, I things going, you know, I mean, you got to give, you know, like no matter what happens and no matter, in my opinion, like no matter what happens with the Texans moving forward, I mean, they're doing things that they've only done one other time, probably their most successful season, that 2011 season, you know, when you win seven games and, and I think part of the problem is, is that, you know, when you have the teams like we have in Houston, you know, the Astros and, and, and the Rockets and, and when you have the Texans, I, I don't think people realize like baseball's 162 and then basketball's what, 82 games. And, you know, seven game win streaks are common in those things. And it's just like another day at the park. But I think because the NFL NFL schedule is so condensed that 16 games, seven games, in my opinion, people just kind of bat an eye at it because it just doesn't seem that much. But in the NFL, like in terms of NFL winning seven games, no matter who you play, no matter any, I mean, we've seen good teams in the NFL this year and even over the years lose to just crappy teams. And I mean, I, I sit there and think about, man, the Titans look good. You know, they smoke the Patriots. And then the next week they just get hammered against the Colts and it didn't even look like a game. So I, I think that there has to be said some something said for what Bill O'Brien's been able to do, A, to keep this team together after such an ugly start. And B, put together seven wins where uh, they haven't played their best football, which gives you hope that there's a lot more for them to get done. And and I think that's probably the big thing for me is that they've just been able to, to put it together. And, and Bill O'Brien figured out early in this entire thing that they, like last year, they were able to put up an offense that was averaging nearly 40 points a game with Deshaun Watson in that stretch. And then... Uh, but they had a terrible defense behind them, like well, Mike Vrabel running it. They were terrible. And then this past year, oh, my dog's going crazy. And then this year, you, you see a Texans offense that O'Brien understands that he can't play that way this year because he'll get Deshaun Watson killed. And the unfortunate reality of it all was when uh, he got banged up against the Dallas Cowboys. And then then you start really worrying, like, oh, my goodness, are they going to go to Brandon Whedon? I just think that there's not enough being said about what Bill O'Brien's done. Does he have his flaws? Yes. Does he have things that make you want to bang your head against the desk? Sure. But I think that's every NFL coach. I, I don't – I mean, you might see two coaches that, that fan bases really love. But other than that, I think it's just one of those things that Bill O'Brien at least needs some credit for what's going on. Yeah, the, the pug uh, – I think it's a pug, right, Pat? He, he loves this. It's our pug, Leia. She's nuts. But, but she doesn't bark. She puts in on the conversation. I think yes. that's what it is. Yes, she doesn't bark. And what she actually does, she like grunts or something. Hear it? Yes. Yeah, sounds sounds like a dragon. And and speaking of, of dragon and fervor, I'm just curious from your perspective with the Texans. I mean, 
I'm, I'm really surprised that seven game winning streak doesn't seem to be inciting Texans fans into a lot of fervor about this team. What's your feel over on state of the Texans? Do you feel like there's a, a little bit of, is there some fervor going on? Is there some excitement? Is Are people starting to get excited about this team or is it, they've just become so cynical with Bill O'Brien maybe, or is they, they just don't believe in this team enough quite yet? No, I, I think that you hit it on the head. I think they're just so cynical. And, and I think that you have a lot of media entities, at least in the Houston area, that I'm watching that fear monger that want to be right. I mean, let's be let's be honest. Chances of the Texans winning the Super Bowl compared to other teams is probably not as high. But that's why you play. I mean, this is why you drafted Deshaun Watson, right? To get to the playoffs and let him do his thing. I mean, he's a big game quarterback. This is why you drafted him to get him to the playoffs to see what he can do. Because we all know, all three of us are smart, or all three of us are smart enough to know that. Quarterback play is the total difference maker when you get to this thing. Look at Nick Foles in the Super Bowl. Man, you got to have a guy that can pull the trigger and do those things and, and get your team into those positions. And I, I think that's the big thing is that I think people want to be excited. They like it. Now, there's some people uh, that appreciate like, hey, <laughs> this team couldn't buy a win last year. So you have some people that are grateful. But I also think that people also just – by human nature, find every excuse to literally hate everything the Texans are doing or find a problem. If it's not like, oh, this isn't a good offensive line or Bill O'Brien doesn't know how to call plays or or whatever the case is. Oh, no Will Fuller. Uh, there's always an excuse, but I think it's just that it's just that human nature of just finding anything they can to protect themselves from being too excited. But I think it's okay to get excited. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not like this franchise is just decorated and winning. So I think it's okay to be excited about a team that that's doing some impressive things. I want to get to the things that they can improve on in just a second, but just want to remind everybody, if you're enjoying the show, tell your friends, let them know they can find us on Spotify, the Google podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, all of the above. Email us at lockedontexans at mail.com for questions or comments and want to talk, take a little bit to talk about our brand new partners at Action Heat. They make the world's best battery heated clothing. It's heat on demand at the touch of a button. Action Heat clothing is engineered to safely and efficiently deliver heat with heating panels similar to a heated car seat. They can reach temperatures up to 135 degrees and are powered by a rechargeable 5-volt lithium battery that lasts up to 12 hours on each charge. Action Heat batteries can also be used to recharge your phone or any other gadget while you're wearing them. They're perfect for who's ever on your holiday gift list and for anyone who works outdoors, skiers, snowboarders, or anybody that loves the outdoors and hates being cold, which which that's me for sure. <laughs> Action Heat clothing provides toasty warmth and comfort for your whole body, included heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments like heated base layer clo- shirts and long johns are available for men and women with great new styles and models just released for this winter season. Make winter activities more enjoyable with the blast of warmth. It's a perfect solution to keep you toasty and warm even in the most frigid temperatures or, you know, what we got in Houston anyway. They fit everyone's budget starting at $39.99. Plus, we've got a special deal for our listeners to save 20% off your entire order. Just go to actionheat.com slash locked on to check out everything Action Heat has to offer. That's actionheat.com slash locked on or just use the locked on code at the checkout to save 20% off. Again, that's the locked on code 
You know how that's spelled. And, uh, you know, it's a way to stay toasty and warm while you enjoy all the outdoor activities this winter. You can do it with Action Heat. All right, uh, Pat, um, I want to get into a little bit of uh, some of the stuff that the Texans can improve on. And let me ask you about Demarius Thomas because uh, zero catches in his second game against the Redskins. Any concern there? Have you had a chance to to look at uh, the All-22 and, and what happened with him in this first game uh, since uh, he came back from the bye and got a chance to sort of get acquainted with the playbook? You know, he did have two targets. One was wiped out by a no play penalty. Um, you know, the one ball that uh, Deshaun did throw to him. It was nowhere close to him. But I think that, you know, I think it comes down to that that idea that Deshaun Watson's getting a new player in the middle of the season. Uh, you know, he worked with Will Fuller, you know, last year when uh, Fuller was injured. Uh, what did Fuller have last year? A rib injury. And they would stay stay late. Watson would stay with, with him after practice, throw with him at NRG. And then you add in everything that him and him and Hopkins and Kuti did together. Uh, I think it's a comfort thing. I, I think it's going to be one of those things where they're literally going to have to tell Deshaun, you're going to have to throw it to Demarius Thomas. And, and the reason why, I think the big reason you have to do it, you got to balance the field out. Uh, you saw it against Denver, right? They had three plays that were literally drawn up for Demarius in order for the Broncos to pay attention and make it happen and, and make sure that they cover them all times. I don't think it's anything to be really worried about. But the thing I did notice and continue to notice is the why Kiki Cutie is probably um, the next best option outside of DeAndre Hopkins. I think Cutie and Will Fuller played three full games together, and it was almost like a three-to-one difference in targets uh, between Cutie and Will Fuller. That's how much Cutie changes uh, the target shares for the opposite receiver of DeAndre Hopkins. It's the first time they've ever had a real slot wide receiver and you saw it this game cutie led the texans in targets with nine and i just think that it's the way this offense has been built is that they've never had that guy you know they've never it's something that everyone in houston always wanted in terms of what the patriots have right they wanted a uh, edelman or an amandola one of those guys and they finally have one in in what kiki's doing but i think that's the big thing is that i don't know Demarius Thomas or Will Fuller's really considered the second option with Kiki Cutie in the offense healthy because the targets are saying that every time he's on the field, he's the guy just because of the matchups they're getting. Uh, so I, I think part of what's happening is, is it's the arrival of Cutie that's going to change a lot of things. And, and, it, and it did again. You know, what happened for Fuller is happening, the same thing that's happened for Demarius Thomas. Just those targets are, are not there because – Watson's falling in love with what Cutie's doing in the middle of the field. Pat, uh, in regard to Lamar Miller's uh, success this season, you know, two uh, rushing games with that have gone over the century mark, you know, numbers that haven't been hit since 2016. What do you think has led to his success? I think two things. I think, number one, really helping him splitting carries. Lamar Miller's really good under 20 or less carries a game. I don't think they want it any higher than that. Uh, as you notice, I think that you'll see at times his – the thing that I've noticed that they've really fixed his steps. And what I mean by that, in terms of being a running back, getting downhill, your steps have to be right. You know, one, two downhill in the zone game or whatever. Sometimes he acts like he's rounding a base like Jose Altuve on a triple going from second to third, rounding it. And that's kind of what Lamar does sometimes. Instead of having crisp steps, he gets sloppy with that. And 
any misstep allows defenses just to close it a little bit faster. I think they've fixed some of his, you know, minor technique issues and it's really helped him. And like you said, you know, he rushed for back-to-back 100-yard games since the first season he was here with the Texans as a free agent out of Miami. Uh, but they're keeping him fresh. They're allowing Alfred Blue to get in the game, and Alfred Blue's doing some positive things no matter what anyone says. Uh, he, I mean, he's pretty boring. All he does is get like four to five yards of carry each time. But I think that's the big thing. They've kept him healthy, and they've really, really helped him uh, improve his technique running the football. With Martinez Rankin, uh, he started the season out at tackle. And, you know, with the draft guys, you know, saying that he is a natural guard and he played some guard, you know, this game, this past game, because, you know, of the death needs. Uh, you know, if we, uh, you know, our guard went down uh, with Greg, not not with Greg Mance, but uh, with Zach Fulton. I'm sorry. Um, he went down and um, just wanted to know what your thoughts were. You know, what do you see in the future? Martinez Reagan being switched uh, to guard. Will the Texans eat crow and just go in and put him at his natural position because he seemed to do well there? I don't think it'll happen anytime soon. Still, it's Senio Calamete and, and Zach Fulton as their guards. Of course, their injuries are not considered you know, long-term. Calamete mm. is dealing with that ankle injury and, and Fulton has the shoulder injury, but neither one of those, it doesn't seem, and it helps that they're playing on Monday. So it gives them a little extra time to get healthy. But, you know, with, I think, Martinez Rankin has been much like Julian Davenport. Those two have been a victim of poor coaching decisions. And what I mean by that, they both were thrown in the situations at the start of the season that really stunted their growth. Julian Davenport never played right tackle in his career, but after Chantrell Henderson went down, they moved him to right tackle. Then they throw Martinez Rankin in there with only like really two weeks of work during training camp in the preseason because he had the foot injury he suffered in OTA. So both of those guys were thrown in terrible positions. And I think that's really, really thrown both of those guys for a loop. The best thing they ever did was just pull Rankin out, put Lamb in, just because you don't want to damage your rookies. You want to let those guys understand the game first and then throw them in there. And look, Rankin has been dealt some ugly hands. They threw him in in the, you know, the Wolves week one against the Patriots at left tackle. And then now they kind of threw him in the Wolves uh, at left guard. And like you said, I just think that because everything's a little more uh, tighter down there, there's not so much space on the outside. Uh, I think it helped Rankin out just because every, he can see things. He doesn't have to move as much. And uh, I, I don't know if you're, I'm not one of those guys that's really ready to give up on him as an offensive tackle, because I think that despite what's going on, yes, he has short arms, but also I think that his feet are good enough to do it. I don't know if he's a left tackle. To me, he looks like a right tackle, but that's beyond the point. I just think they have to, they have a player that they know they can depend on. Guard could possibly be his position, but I think that's the big thing, is that they have depth. They have guys that are still relatively young and could help in the long term, but it's just a matter of figuring out what's the best option. One of our listeners asked if, uh, you know, which guys, I guess, would be keepers of this offensive line. Like, I mean, if you go to the offseason, which ones do you want to move forward with and uh, maybe where do they need to look to? Uh, what, what's your thought on that? Who, 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 do, who do you think they should keep? You keep all of them. You keep all of them and keep adding to them. Uh, Kendall Lamb's the only one that's – he's an unrestricted free agent. I'm interested to see what they choose to do with him because he's probably been the biggest reason they've really stabilized the pass protection. 
just because he was not able to do that right tackle. Think about against the Denver Broncos. He gets knocked out for four plays, then all of a sudden Von Miller shows up, sacks Deshaun Watson. Other than that, you didn't hear anything about Von Miller in terms of pass rush. So I think uh, I, I think that you take the entire group back again next season and figure out what you're doing. I mean, are you going to go find a, a tackle on the market? Or are you going to go back to the draft? It's too it's too early to be writing off Julian Davenport. He was a fourth round, fifth round pick, wherever out of Bucknell, small school. I don't know what people expected. He's not going to come in and light the world on fire. Uh, he missed some important time last year with a shoulder injury. So, and ultimately, this is kind of like his rookie season. Uh, I think that he has ups and downs, but also I think he's improved as the season has gone on. Uh, but Senio Calamete and Zach Fulton, go watch the Washington Redskins game. That's a firm reminder why, especially in pass pro, why those two guys are very important. Greg Mance was having a hard, hard time against uh, Darren Payne and, and another guy inside the inside for for the Redskins. So to me, I think all of them come, come to next season. I think it'd be dumb not to. Part of the reason that they've been good is that they finally have some consistency. They have a group that's playing together every day, and, and that makes a difference. I mean, yes, you can have all the greatest offensive linemen, but if they can't understand communication, passing people off, all that stuff, it doesn't matter. That's why, as an offensive line, it's about the unit. I always use this example when I talk about the offensive line. The Texans' best offensive line ever was probably Dwayne Brown, left tackle, Wade Smith, left guard, Chris Myers, right guard, Mark Brizel, right guard, and then uh, uh, Eric Winston at right tackle. Okay. Mike Brizel left that following year in 2012 and went to the Oakland Raiders, and he flamed out. He got a huge contract. Well, there's a reason why, because he was a product of the guys next to him. He knew the system. He knew what Eric Winston was going to do. He knew how uh, Chris Myers was playing. I'll never forget Wade Smith and told me one time about him and Dwayne Brown understanding that they could communicate without even saying anything because they knew what each one each other was going to do. That's how precise offensive line play. I think that the the whole is way more greater than than players. Yes, players, skill, all that matters, but ultimately if they can't understand things and they can't communicate, none of that really matters. So I, I think that this is a relatively young offensive line. Credit Brian Gain for finding Zach Fulton and Senio Calamente, picking them out of mid-level guards and turning them into probably their best guard tandem they've had since Bryzel and, and Wade Smith. Yeah, you make a great point, and I think people need to remember Dwayne Brown. He didn't look great after 16 games as a starter, and Julian Davenport hasn't uh, even got to 16 games as a starter yet, so that's a wait and see. Brian's got a couple of questions, but first I just want to remind everybody to follow Locked On NFL Net on Twitter. You get all the local experts in our Locked On NFL Network on one feed. Really amazing when all the games are going on or when news is breaking. And also Locked On NFL on Instagram, Locked On NFL Net. Uh, all the major stories in just one minute. It's just the perfect bite-sized audio content over Instagram to follow everything that's going on around our Locked On NFL Podcast Network. Make sure you follow Locked On NFL Net on both Instagram and on Twitter. All right, Brian, I'm going to hand it over to you. You got a couple more questions for Pat before we let him go? Yes, I do. And, you know, Mike Devlin's been here since 2015, and, you know, it's still continuing to be a struggle, you know, to get this unit to be as stout, you know, as it was in years past. So 
What do you think about Mike Devlin? Is he in the hot seat? He, should he be in the hot seat? What are your feelings on him as a coach? And can we do better than what we have? I have no problem with Mike Devlin. I, I think that it's one of those things like, you know, he's the run game coordinator. He does a few of those things and you know, he has an offensive line. I mean, Bill O'Brien trust him. Uh, the worst thing that the Texans have ever done under Bill O'Brien in terms of their coaching staff, they've had so much turnover. And if you go back, look at his first staff from 2014 to now, I think maybe they have like two holdovers from that original staff. Uh, staff. Uh, I think that uh, uh, John Perry, who's now the wide receiver coach, was the tight end coach when it started off, and Anthony Midget. And then Rack, obviously, he's still here. But I think that those are the only ones. And if you want to build a team, if you want to build an organization, you've got to at least have some some you know consistency. And that's even on the coaching staff. I don't have a problem with Mike Devlin. Uh, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, look what they've done this season. This is the best they've played underneath him and, and with him. And you know, I, I don't I don't see any of the coaches really on a hot seat. I think this has probably been one of their most consistent coaching staffs and i don't know how anyone could be really uh, down on anyone especially after being seven and three uh, you look at the changes they've made i think they've been r relatively good changes and i think that's just a, a testament to bill o'brien finally sticking to his guns and moving forward and but yeah i, I don't i don't have any problem with uh, mike devlin and last question pat uh, you're sitting in brian Gaines' seat when it comes to the offseason, regardless of how 2018 shakes out, what position group is go needs the most attention that, that needs, uh, whether it's a draft or free agency? Well, I think cornerback and running back positions. I think those are the two. And I put those ahead of offensive tackle because I think that offensive tackle is going to handle itself, right? I mean, if they sign Kendall Lamb or they go draft another one or whatever, I think that um, – the pieces will, will will fall into place. But in terms of they have to go get help, it's cornerback and running back. I don't know if they can continue to um, – I mean, you can look. I mean, even on the Monday night game today, you see how big a difference Todd Gurley and, and Kareem Hunt make for their teams just in terms of speed, their playing speed. I mean, it speeds everything up. And there's plenty of times where I see holes and on you know up front and it takes Lamar Miller forever to get there and – don't get mad at Alfred Blue for playing. Get mad at the Texans for not having anyone really better than him to take those snaps. I think that's the big thing for me is that the running back position is probably the big one. Because if you get this offense another running back, that's just another weapon. Uh, they don't really throw to the running back anymore for some odd reason. Uh, but, yeah, and, you, and we know the cornerback position. It's probably the end of Kevin Johnson's time here, uh, especially due to the concussion. Sharice Wright's a, a plug-and-play player. Kayvon Webster, his quad injury. Aaron Colvin's going to be the nickel cornerback moving forward. And Jonathan Joseph, is, as father time continues to go on, he's he's doing his things, but it, it could all possibly come to an end really quick. So I think cornerback position is, is definitely a huge one moving forward for them. Always great stuff, Pat. Always fun to catch up with you. It's uh, State of the Texans.com, correct? And uh, the State of the Texans podcast. Did I miss anything? Nope, that's it, man. That's it. All right. Thanks a lot, brother. All right, man. You know what? I mean, it's uh, one of those deals. If you enjoy Locked On Texans, you'll enjoy Stay the Texans and vice versa. And we love Pat. He's one of the best out there. Always good insight. And it's LockedOnTexans.com, StayTheTexans.com, HouseOfHouston.com. 
Keep up with everything that's going on in Houston sports along with my Houston Sports Talk podcast. That's all we got for this one. As always, thanks for making us a part of your week. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We'll